For the rest of you, even though Fiona may have caused disastrous things, we are still in the book of Leviticus, so that didn't change, even though your yards did. So please turn in your Bibles to Leviticus, that's going in my pocket. And uh, on page 95 in the Bibles in front of you, if you don't have your Bible with you this morning, and just a story for you, hopefully to make you laugh in light of everything going on, I am not from PEI, as some of you know. And so when they were saying a storm is coming, I had this framework in my mind of an Ontario storm, which they can be bad, but they're nothing like an ocean storm. And so I wasn't quite as prepared as some of you. And uh, we had young adults planned for last weekend. And I was like, eh, let's not cancel. Let's see what happens. And uh, sure enough, we've been without power or we were without power for about a week. And there was no way we were going to run that event. But in my stubbornness, I was like, oh, let's just see what this storm is. And, and, and obviously, we couldn't do that. Um, very quickly learned that when I woke up on Saturday morning. So uh, I've learned I've, my lesson. I'm not going to be the guy that goes and, you know, stores everything once the next storm hits, maybe. But uh, I will have a healthy respect for an East Coast storm now that I've experienced one. So uh, if anything, it humbled me a little bit. So, uh, but we're grateful to be here this morning and to see you guys and some of you that are still without power, maybe, thank you for coming out. And for those that have, we're just glad to be able to get together to worship, to uh, sing songs together, to praise God. And uh, our, it's a great time to go through this passage because it is about provision. And we've just walked through something as a, uh, as certainly as an East Coast of Canada, but also as a province and as a church family where we've seen God provide for us in many ways. And so we're grateful uh, to look at that this morning. So if you would, and turn your Bibles to Leviticus 23, we've taken a break for, it's been three weeks now, so this is almost a month since we've heard a sermon on Leviticus. The last one to be shared was Tim Watley. Anyone remember Tim Watley? He was up here speaking about the first fruits, the Feast of First Fruits. And this morning we're speaking, or we're looking at the Feast of Weeks, is what it's called in your Bible, the Feast of Weeks. And so we're going to look at that, and I'll read through the whole passage this morning, and then let's just dive into it and see what the Lord has for us as we do. So you can follow along, starting in verse 15 of Leviticus 23. It says, You shall count full, seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. So this is the first fruits offering. You say count seven days, or seven weeks rather, from that offering on the Sabbath when you offered the first fruits. In verse 16, as we keep going, you shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. You shall bring from your dwelling places two loaves of bread to be waved, made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. And you shall present with the bread seven lambs, a year old without blemish, and one bull from the herd, and two rams. They shall be a burnt offering to the Lord, with their grain offering and their drink offerings, a food offering with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And you shall offer one male goat for a sin offering, and two male lambs, a year old, as a sacrifice of peace offerings. The priest shall wave them with the bread of the first fruits as a wave offering before the Lord with the two lambs. They shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. Verse 21. You shall make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. It is a statute forever in your dwelling places throughout your generations. And when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner 
I am the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Have you seen God's provision over the past seven, eight, nine days? Have you seen God's provision, especially coming out of what we have? Has God provided for you, for your family? Have you heard stories of how God's provided for neighbors and friends? This is the theme of our passage this morning in God's sovereignty, the Feast of Weeks. See, the Feast of Weeks was referring to, and, and how they came about it, as we alluded to in the first verse, is it started on the Sabbath after the first fruits offering, and they would count seven weeks from that, seven Sabbaths, and then they would have, that's 49 days, so some of you are maybe going, what's the math with that? Well, 50 days, they, add, they usually counted that extra day at the end of it when they celebrated. So seven Sabbaths and then the day that we celebrate, and that's how they counted how they were to celebrate this feast. 49 uh, days, seven weeks, plus one for the day that it was celebrated on. And so it's supposed to be offered after the first fruits offering. So the first fruits, when Tim was sharing with us, that feast was a feast at the beginning of the harvest season, and it was to celebrate the first fruits of what God was doing in the harvest, particularly the barley typically. And this feast comes at the end of the harvest, the grain harvest season, and it's a celebration of everything that God has now provided for from the start until where we are at the finish when we're going to harvest the season. So there's a difference in the feasts. The first fruits is being the start of it, and this particular one celebrating the end of the harvest and what, how God has provided for His people. And so the first thing we see in the Feast of Weeks, I'm going to walk through what we see in the text, and then I want to just uh, open up the, the Bible and look where God has provided for us, and uh, we'll see. You'll, you'll make those connections pretty easy as we walk through, um, but there's a greater provision than what this, that this feast rather is pointing to and, and that God shows us in the book of Acts. So as we walk through that, the first thing we see then is a celebration of God's provision in verse 15 and 16, and as I said, it was done at the end of the wheat harvest, the end of the grain harvest. And unlike the first fruits, which was a thanksgiving for the barley, this was an anticipatory, or this, that was anticipating what God was going to do. This is celebrating what God has done. So really, when we come to this feast, it's kind of like, as some of the commentaries would say, a mega celebration of what God has done and how He has provided throughout the entirety of the harvest season. And it's a one-day celebration of what God has done. And we know Thanksgiving is coming up very shortly where we do something very similar to that. We give thanks to God, and I don't know what your family traditions are with Thanksgiving, but it's a time of thankfulness to how God has provided for us, right? And we celebrate that as a nation and as families. So have you seen God's goodness? Have you seen God's faithfulness, His provision? Because the temptation can be for us to expect too much from God, to expect more than we should from God to the point where we're unable to see His goodness in our lives because we think, hey, it should be this way because it's going this way for my neighbor or it's going this way for my family members or friends in the church. It's going this way for them and so it ought to be that same way for me and I deserve that. If they do, then I should as well. Anyone ever been tempted to fall into that? Have we expected too much from God where we've looked away from Him and looked to other people and thought this is what it should be and it's not? And therefore, we end up maybe complaining or being upset or frustrated with God. We don't see His goodness and His faithfulness because our eyes aren't on Him. They're on somebody else in their circumstances, not ours. So maybe you expect too much out of God or from Him. He does not owe us anything. 
And it can be easy for us to focus our attention on other things, and on the way other people are getting blessed by God that we are not, in ways we are not. And that's our selfishness. Things that we want that aren't going the way we want. So has God provided for you? Has God provided for you specifically, for your family? Without taking into account the neighbor who maybe has power. Too soon? Too soon. Too soon. Anyone that doesn't, you're welcome to come over and uh, have a hot shower. We'll make sure it's ready for you. Um, Are you tempted to look to somebody else or are you able to look to what God has done for you? And one of the practical ways we do this, I've seen these posts even just since Fiona has hit us as a province. We've seen these posts many times where people, will, they'll put up a picture and they will, they will show the devastation of what has happened, but they are still counting God's blessings on their family for the safety and for other things. And it's a, it's a great way, a practical thing for us to practice. I thank you, Andrew, for your prayer this morning because that's exactly what we need to do. We need to count God's blessings in our lives even when we're going through difficult things. And sometimes we do a good job of it when it's maybe not something that's very difficult to walk through. And then other times it can be very challenging depending on what the Lord has for you. But the Feast of Weeks was a celebration of God's provision. And then the second thing we see is there's an offering of new grain. New grain, it says, in verse 16b. This grain was from the new harvest. This wasn't something that was old, that was stuffed away, and that they brought out of the cupboards that was old and used to then make a sacrifice to the Lord. This offering was to be of the new grain that they had harvested, bringing along this principle of giving God your best. And we've talked about giving God our best as we've walked through Leviticus. Uh, certainly, we, that has come up. And the question then for us remains, do we give God our best? Do you give God your best, truly? 1 Corinthians talks about whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, to do all of it to the glory of God. And if everything's to be done to the glory of God, then that would mean then that we ought to be giving God our best. And typically, or maybe not typically, but uh, there, there do come times at least in our lives where we are tempted to, or where the easier thing to do is to not give God our best, but to give God whatever we have left, right? Whatever that may be. We are tempted to give God whatever we have left over. And the reality is, if you read before in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, for we were bought with what? A price. We were bought with a price. He says, so glorify God in your body. See, we are not our own. own. We don't get to decide what is best for us. God does that because God sent His Son to die for us. And so we were bought with a price. And so giving God our best is not just because for whatever reasons, because He's worthy of it. God is worthy of all of our lives because it's not ours. And so that means the best of our time, the best of our money, the best of our affections, all of these things that, that we give to other people and other things in our lives, God deserves the best in those, of those things. Our time, our money, and our affections. We don't just tithe to the church because the church needs money to function. We tithe and we give God our best because Jesus is worthy of, of the things that we have and our wealth that God has blessed us with because they're not our own. Those things are not ours, right? Our wealth is God's and God has blessed us with those things. And so we don't do it because of a need for the church to have and do certain things. We do it because of a response to what Jesus Christ and what God has done for us and providing for us. And the same is for our time and the same is for our affections. And the way that we spend our time, we give God the best of our time and not all the distracted time 
because he's worthy of it. He's worthy of being known. I don't know if you know what Paul says in Philippians. What does Paul say? He counts all things as garbage compared to what? To knowing Christ. Everything else in, in life for Paul was rubbish compared to knowing Christ. So for Paul, the most important thing was, now I'm not saying that we throw out family and, and everything else. I think we need to make sure we understand context of what Paul is saying. But what he's saying is the most important thing in life is to know Jesus Christ. To know Jesus Christ. And so often time and money and affection can distract us and we give God the second best of that. And yet in this passage, in the Feast of Weeks, we see the Israelites were to give the best of the grain that they had, the first, uh, the best and the freshest and the newest that, the, that God had blessed them with, not whatever was left over and stale or whatever in the cupboards. And then as we walk through, we see thirdly that the two loaves, there was two loaves of leavened bread in verse 17. And this is different than all of our other sacrifices and feasts because in this feast, we see leaven is actually used. And I don't know if you remember as we've been tracking, but they were always to sacrifice. And certainly in the feast up to this point, there was no leaven used, right? Remember that? And in this particular feast, they were encouraged to use leaven. Now in the past, no leaven was used because of its association with sin, certainly. And also in the Passover with them having to leave quickly when we go back to uh, the nation in Egypt, in Exodus, right? They had to leave quickly. There was no time to let the bread rise, and so there was no time to put leaven in the bread and the loaves they were making. But when the loaves were made, we, it's interesting as we read through the passage that the priests were to wave that offering before the Lord. They weren't to place it on the altar like they did with the unleavened bread. They were to wave it before the Lord as a wave offering, and that was acceptable to God. And maybe because of the fact that, and what leaven was associated with, they weren't to put that on the altar of God uh, therefore making it unclean, but they were just to wave it before the Lord and that was acceptable. And they did that with their offerings. But it's interesting to note that leaven is used and it's a, it shows us and it acknowledges that God was good to them even just in their ordinary food and everything in all of their lives. God was good to them. He was faithful to them. He provided for them. The question is, has God provided for you? And how can you thank Him for that? How has God provided for your family? How has He blessed you? And then we see also the offerings required. And I, said, I mentioned a moment ago that this was a mega celebration. And it's a mega celebration because this is the only feast where all of the offerings are offered if, as we read through. That just a number of offerings alone would have made this a mega celebration of what God had done and how God had provided. And this was to be practiced every year on a regular basis. But we see the burnt offering, the grain offering, the drink, the food, the sin offering, and the peace offering. All of the offerings that we've learned about in the beginning of Leviticus were present at this feast. And typically you would say, well, how could everybody afford that? And I think in our understanding of it that, as the commentators were saying, few households could actually practice this just by themselves. And so this was a communal a community thing where you would get together and you would make these sacrifices to the Lord together as a community and then in doing so celebrate with the fellowship offering, celebrate and, and partake in eating of those sacrifices uh, that you had made to the Lord. And so it's a celebration. Look at how much God has blessed us. Not just me, but us. Look at how God has blessed us. How can we do that as a community, as a family, as a church community, how can we celebrate how God has provided for us? And not just 
not just by acknowledging it, but by getting together and by celebrating it, as they did certainly here. See, typically when we are blessed by God, we want to keep as much of it as we can for ourselves. I don't know about you, but that's a temptation, I think, for most people. You want to keep as much of the blessings that God has given you for yourselves. And so we have savings accounts, we have investment accounts, we have family, we have other things. We have goals, right? A bigger house, a new car, things like that. And certainly we give to the Lord some things, and we give to the church some things, and we tithe, but then there's still this desire to hold on to things because we have dreams, visions, goals for our lives and what we want to do with that money that God has blessed us with. And so we hold on to those things, and we can be tempted in that way. We ask the question, well, what's the bare minimum that I have to give to God? Not what should I give, not what do people need around me, but what's the bare minimum I need to give? to the Lord, and then from there, I'll keep the rest, and we'll keep it either for a rainy day or for something that I am working towards. So instead of that, maybe what we ought to ask is, what do I need? And from there, how can I use the, the blessings that God has given me to bless other people and to provide for other people? How can I be a blessing to somebody else? And that is countercultural in a society where every, where a, in a greedy society, where everybody wants more and more and more, and they want more for less, and they want to accumulate so that they can have what they think is going to give them happiness in more resources. Some of us live with very little margin in our lives when it comes to time, money, and affections. What comes in and goes out, there's very little margin there, very little to give of extra. I'm not saying that all extra is bad, but I'm just saying that sometimes it's not always necessary, and we ought to evaluate the things and the way that we spend our resources that God gives us and blesses us with, because God has given them to us. Do you hold on to those blessings, or do you share them with other people? And that's a response to God's goodness and His provision. There's no agenda in God's kingdom for hoarding up and spending on yourself. That's not anywhere seen in the kingdom of God. But giving can cause fear, right? Because it's, it means that I now need to ask to trust God, right? Am I going to have enough? If I give, am I going to have enough? And so giving sacrificially above what is easy can be hard because it expresses our trust and our faith in God to provide for our needs, just like He does at, and did at the harvest feast that we see here. And so how do you respond to God's goodness? How do you respond to His provision? And it's been so encouraging as we've walked through this time together as a community and as a province to see the different ways that people have pulled together. I'm sure everybody could share a story of how somebody either has provided and, and pulled something together for them or where they've seen it happen in their community. And certainly as we've shared stories with neighbors, there have been so many of those and I'm sure there are so many more that would, that would bless each of us. And hopefully at the end of the service this morning, you get to share some of those with each other and encourage each other in that way. But God has certainly uh, used this as an opportunity for us to encourage one another, provide for one another, help one another. And then finally with the feast, we see that it's a Sabbath day in verse 21. It was a day of rest. It was a busy time of year for them, harvest season. And so God designated one day for them to celebrate 
what, how God had provided for them, and then they were to go back to work. But you do need that time to rest because when we are busy and we are, when we are running around, it is very hard for us to take the time to acknowledge God, to see God, to see His provision for us. And so God just asked for one day in this particular feast for them to stop, to rest, to see His provision, to thank Him for that, to offer, to celebrate, and then to continue on in their lives. And we need to practice that same pattern, I think, when we look at our lives. How are we taking time to stop, to, to remember God, to think on Him and His provision, and then to be thankful for that? And then our second point as we walk through the text this morning is that I want to take you through Pentecost in the Bible because Pentecost is another name for the Feast of Weeks. This festival, this celebration, there is another name for it and it is called Pentecost. And you have seen that in your Bibles before. The uh, 50 days is the amount of time as we talked about in verse 16. And that's what led this feast to be known as the Feast of Pentecost. And in the Greek language... The word for 50 is Pentecost, and so that's where that comes from, the Feast of Pentecost, meaning the 50th day, so the Feast of the 50th day. And there's just two things I want us to look at this morning. The first thing in the Bible, this is not necessarily, I would say, um, with a lot of scriptural evidence, although certainly some of the commentaries have alluded to this, but there is one, there are two specific times, certainly, well, there are many times God provides in the Bible. We've, we've read of a few as we've walked through these feasts. One in particular for the nation of Israel that was very big was the giving of the law. In Exodus chapter 19 and 20, when God gives the law to Moses and he brings it to the people. And this is one of God's richest blessings for his people because it helps them to see their need for God and for a Savior. And the law gave them a path for human flourishing. Even though it was going to be impossible for them to follow, it was a path to say, this is what's going to lead you to the most life as a nation. And so this, this is a, a Jewish idea found in the book of Jubilees, which is an extra-biblical account. But it's a Jewish idea that, the, that God gave the law on the day of Pentecost. And it seems to be that maybe it lined up or maybe it was very close to that time. If we go and look at the timeline in Exodus 19, it doesn't say anywhere specifically in Exodus, but it seems to be that maybe that could be the case. And so this became a Jewish idea that, that the God provided the law on the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. And so maybe that's an opportunity. Either way, it's a, it's a very uh, obvious time where God provided something very big for the nation of Israel. And then in your Bibles, if you turn up the book of Acts, chapter 2, you'll see maybe the, another very important time where God provides something for His people, and that is the giving of the Holy Spirit. And very similar, you read the two accounts. If you go to Exodus 19 and, and Acts 2, and you read the accounts and, and just of the time and what it was like in Acts 2, which we'll read in a second. In the Exodus 19, you see some similar elements and both supernatural events for the, for the nation of Israel, certainly. And so that's maybe why these two are tied together in some ways. But at the giving of the Holy Spirit in Acts 2, where Jesus, he died and it is believed that he was raised on the Feast of First Fruits. And this makes sense because Paul says that Jesus is the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep, of those who are already dead. And so 40 days after the resurrection, Jesus ascends into heaven, right? 40 days after that, we read that in Acts 1. And then 10 days later in Acts 2, if you're, if you're reading or following along, I'll read the verses for you. 10 days later, God's people are in Jerusalem celebrating or about to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks. 
And this is what Acts 2 says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Why? Because they had gathered together to offer these offerings and, and celebrate God's provision. And suddenly, in verse 2, there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested each one of them on each one of them. And they were filled. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. You can imagine being there and having that happen when God supernaturally gives His Holy Spirit to His people. And they were there to celebrate, and yet God provided for them. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says, You will receive power when my Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so this promised Spirit had come, and God has sent Him in Acts 2. God graciously gives His church the gift of His Holy Spirit, His presence to be with them forever. And the Feast of Weeks was a foreshadow of this event. And so Pentecost becomes, in Acts 2, the fulfillment of this feast. And what happened in Acts 2, as we read, when the Holy Spirit came, 3,000 people were added to the church, were saved, right? And the spiritual harvest had begun, and God had started a work in the church that was going to go throughout all eternity. And so with the remaining minutes, I just want to look at a few results of provision. When we think of this word provision and how God has provided for us, Certainly, He provides for us physically, but He also provides for us spiritually by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. And that may be the greatest need that we have, and it is the greatest need. Not maybe, but it is, right? And so, relief from Hurricane Fiona is certainly a need, but not as great as the need for us to know Jesus Christ as our Savior. And so, what are the results of provision? I think the first two that we're going to look at are are physically, they're what we kind of see in the text, and they're a result of God's physical provision. And then the rest, the remaining three, are spiritual. And we'll walk through them uh, quickly here as we go. So if you're back in Leviticus chapter 23, you see this tag at the end of the, of the passage. And uh, the results of provision then for us as we read this passage are generosity, the first thing, generosity towards other people. When God provides, His people are generous. When they understand God's mercy for them, they are generous with what God has given them. They're generous to others. They care for the needy. This was a quote out of one of the commentaries as I was reading. It, is a, it also taught them, the nation of Israel, that the joy of harvest should express itself in charity to the poor, who must have their due out of what we have as well as God His. So when God blesses, the poor deserve some of that, and God deserves some of that along with us, is what he's saying. Those that are truly sensible of the mercy they receive from God will, without grudging, show mercy to the poor. Do you and I show mercy to the poor? Do we know who, where the needs are and who is poor and who has needs, and does the church care for those things? Because First John 3 says this, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? See, the love of God abides in those who care for those who are in need, those who are poor. It's a characteristic of those who have the love of God in them. And so are you looking for those needs for those people that have things, or are you too busy with your own stuff, that you don't have time for that, you don't have resources for that? Margins are too thin in time and, and affection and resources. You can't give any more to anybody that might be in need because there is not any more left to give. This is the heart of Christ in all of His ministry. 
was to the poor and to the needy, the compassion that he had for those who were in need, not just physically but spiritually, is the very heart of his ministry. Constantly hanging around people in society that nobody else would have wanted to be around. He was known for his generosity. May we be people that are known for our generosity to those who are in need. Not just when something arrives, but consistently being that and striving to be that for people, for those who are in need. Because we recognize that, hey, God, life is not about us. We've been bought with a price. God doesn't just bless us for ourselves and to use those things for ourselves. He blesses us so that we can be a blessing to others. And oddly enough, it took a hurricane to shake some of us out of that, right, where we were busy with our own thing and doing our own thing in our own time to the point where now you see, well, the power's out. And I'm like, the amount of times we've seen our neighbors now in the past week is incredible because there was no power. Like we actually, you know, there was nothing to do inside, no screens to watch. The batteries were dead. So we could go outside and say, hey, do you need something? Are you okay? How are you doing? Right? And uh, the amount of neighbors that we either met or got to have long-term conversations with because of the fact that the power went out. And I, I, you know, I'm guilty of it as well. And so I laugh about it. But I mean, it was, you got to a point where, you know, it is kind of incredible on our street how you hardly see anybody. And when we first moved in for the first few months, it felt like nobody really lived on our street. And I don't know what that reason was, whether it's because it was cold or whether it was because of the fact that everybody has better things to do. But it takes that for us to go out and to, to meet up with people and to be generous and to ask them and to talk to them. It took Hurricane Fiona to shake all of our time and our schedules and our resources uh, to really uh, to look at that and say, what's more important right now? And certainly helping our neighbors then became important all of a sudden and other things didn't, like watching football because there was no Wi-Fi to do that or whatever it is, or you've used up all your data, whatever that the case is. So the result of provision is generosity towards the other. Then it's gratitude towards God. In Leviticus 23, I refer to the whole feast that Tim shared with us last time he was up. Gratitude towards God. He talked about two things, gratefulness and complaining. I don't know if you remember that. And he mentioned, uh, he mentioned where... He talked about having two buckets in your life, a complaining bucket and a, um, what was it, a uh, grateful bucket. And he said, which one is, is fuller for you right now, your gratefulness bucket or your complaining bucket? What is your response to God, to his provision? Is it gratitude or is it complaining? What is it? And so I thought that was great that he did that, and, and uh, it was a great time to look together at how God, how we can be grateful to God. But the reality is God is good all the time, right? And all of the time, God is good. And we have to be thankful for that and express that to God. And so we see the results when God provides. The results are great, our gratitude towards God. And then as we turn to and think about Pentecost, the last three points here quickly as we walk through, the third thing we see in God's provision is that his, when God provides, His presence is with us forever. When God provided His Holy Spirit, He gave his, his Holy Spirit to be with His people forever. And we read about that in John 16. The promised Holy Spirit with us forever. Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go. He's telling His disciples He's leaving. And He says, it's to your advantage that I go. For if I do not go... The Helper will not come, but if I go, I will send Him to you. And then as you read f further along, we see what that Holy Spirit was going to be for us. It is a promise that God fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, and that He continues to fulfill till the end of time. 
Jesus did not end his ministry on earth when he died, when he went to be with God in heaven. It continues through his indwelling Holy Spirit in the church today. His ministry continues. And the promise of, our, of this new covenant is ours through the Holy Spirit. And in Ezekiel 36, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I'll put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is fulfilled in Acts chapter 2. We have the Holy Spirit with us. And that's better because the Holy Spirit can be with all of us, everywhere, all the time. Jesus couldn't. And so His presence is, is at work in our lives to teach us God's Word, to help us to, to convict us of sin, to change our hearts towards God. And as we think of Pentecost, we think of the dispersion of the Gospel. When God provided His Holy Spirit, when God provided ultimately His, His Son as a sacrifice on the cross, we see the result of that is the Gospel going out to the world. In 1 Corinthians Paul talks about Christ being raised from the dead as a first fruit to those who had fallen asleep. In verse 21, he says, By a man came death, sorry, for as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead, for as in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. See, Jesus Christ is the first fruits of God's victory, and Pentecost is the beginning of a harvest season that is going on right now and throughout all eternity that we get to be a part of. 3,000 souls were added to the kingdom in Acts chapter 2 in one day. And those 3,000 souls were going to take the gospel of the kingdom to everywhere that they were going to go. Back home to their friends, families, neighbors. And so the Great Commission is something that we get to be a part of right now. The harvest is plentiful in Matthew 9. Jesus is it talks about how Jesus is going out and he's sharing the gospel, preaching the kingdom, and he sees those in need and he has compassion for those in need. And he sees that not just the physical need, but there's a spiritual need for them. They're wandering around with like a shepherd with, or like sheep with no shepherd in Matthew 9, he says. And what does he say to his disciples? He says, he says that the harvest is ready and the laborers are few. And then he says, pray for that the Lord may provide laborers for the harvest that is ready. That is the reality for us right now. It was, it's so great to see that we've provided for each other when we've had neighbors come together and say, what do you need? And, I, and, and have gone out and gotten it for them. But the reality is that many of our neighbors and most of them have a, a far greater need than just power in their house or, uh, or even necessarily food in their fridge or snacks or a Tim Hortons coffee because they haven't had one, right? The, the greatest spiritual need they have is to know Jesus Christ and to have their sins forgiven. And it's great for us to have that compassion, and it's a foot in the door even to, to go to them and say, how can I provide for you physically? But sometimes we have more compassion for those physical needs and less for the spiritual needs, whether, whatever that is, whether it's because we're nervous, we don't have the courage to share with them, we think that they're going to shut us down, whatever that is, and yet we need to take that good news and that to them and see and have compassion for that because that is so, so much greater a need for them uh, than, than the things that they're going through right now. And not to belittle any of those things, but that is a far greater need. And so how are we sharing the gospel with them and how can we uh, get a foot in the door to do that because that is what they need. And it's a comforting thing to know when we read the Great Commission that Jesus says at the beginning and the end, he says, I've been given all authority, he says, and then he says, I'm with you always, right? He's always with us. 
to the end of the age and to empower us to go and to make disciples and to teach them what Jesus has said. And then finally, we see the results of provision is the restoration of all things in Romans 8.23. Let me read the passage for you. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We are eagerly awaiting. God's creation is eagerly awaiting restoration. And if you've placed your faith in Christ, then there's coming a restoration for you and for all of His creation where you're going to be made new. The restoration of all things. And God provides His Holy Spirit as a sign that that is coming. And that we carry that sign into all eternity as people come to Christ as they know it, as they know Christ. History is moving towards the restoration of all things. Like a bride that is getting ready for her wedding, we, the church, God's people on earth, are getting ready for Jesus to come back, for our groom, for the return of Christ, our groom to come back. And so as Matthew 9 says, Jesus says the harvest is ready. People are there. It is ready to be harvested. And there's people that need to know Christ. And, and Jesus says, pray that laborers will be sent out to do that. And when he prays that, we are, at least in part, the fulfillment of that prayer. As we go out, as we share the gospel, as we bring the good news of what God has done for us and, and what he has provided, how he's provided for all his people. And so there are souls that need to know Christ and to need to know how God has provided for them through Jesus Christ in the gospel. And that God pray, prays, or Jesus prays that there will be labors that go out and we get to be uh, a part of that. We get to celebrate that and we get to look forward to the restoration of all things uh, when God returns, when Jesus Christ returns. And so we get to celebrate that and we're grateful for that this morning. Would you pray with me though as we close? Thank you God for this time to get together, this time to come before you to sing truth about you, to celebrate your goodness, to sing about the gospel and how Jesus has provided for us the greatest need that we have. And God, we are so grateful for that as we sit here. And God, we're so grateful for those that have uh, come alongside one another through the times that we've been walking and have provided for others. And yet, God, we pray for hearts to see and compassion and mercy to see the needs that are around us and that, and that the harvest is great, not just physically, but spiritually in the world, in, in the neighborhoods even that we live in right now, God. People need to know you. And God, you've provided a way, and so we pray that you would help us to share that with people that do not know that. And God, may we celebrate that with our friends and family and brothers and sisters in Christ that know that today. May we celebrate with them and be joyful for that, and then take that to the, the harvest that needs it as we go back to our homes. God, we're so grateful for how you've provided for us, for what you have done for us, for taking care of us, and may we be a blessing to the world uh, because we've seen that, and may we have mercy to those uh, who need it because we've been shown it, God. Thank you for your great love for us and for your great grace for us. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen.